Well, it is so good to see you this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, what a great day to be able to be together. We've thawed out. We're not in the snow anymore. Can we just celebrate that for a minute? I think that is really good. So for those of you who are here in this room, I'm so thankful. For those of you who are watching online, what an incredible opportunity we have. It's amazing for me to think that what God's doing in this moment is so much bigger than just one room, right? My name is Chad, by the way. Uh, Pastor Chris this morning is on our Tulsa campus, and right now he's beginning to preach on the Tulsa campus as we preach here, and then we're connecting online with people, and then beyond this moment, there are churches all over the world where Christ is being magnified through worship, through praise, through the reading of his word, through the response of his people. And so this morning, we have the opportunity in this room, in Tulsa, and online to join a chorus innumerable of people throughout all of history in all, of world, in, in all the world to be able to celebrate who God is. And I'm just so excited that we get to do that together. I think that's so, so good. Uh, I want to tell you about, because I've been on the Tulsa campus for the past several weeks, just one thing that's going on down there that's just really special. It's something that hasn't happened in a generation. Actually, it hasn't happened in a generation, but it also has a new element to it. But several weeks ago, before the snow came, before Ash Wednesday, we had a Wednesday night moment on the Tulsa campus. That hasn't happened in a generation. There have been kids there, there were students, there were teenagers, and I mean, there were preschoolers that were there that were worshiping together and hearing God's word. We had more than 100 people on the Tulsa campus on a Wednesday night, and most, yeah, that's good. We can celebrate that. That's good. And this is part of what's really cool. Most of them were there either to learn English as a second language or Spanish as a second language. And I just think that's so cool because we have this opportunity to reach into our community, not just in multiple language or locations, but in multiple languages. And so if you want to learn Spanish, the next class is this Wednesday night. Come on down to Tulsa. We'd love to teach you how to share the gospel in Spanish. I think that'd be a great, great thing. Well, it really is great to see you this morning. We've been in the book of Colossians in a series called Greater Than. So let me invite you, if you have your copy of God's Word on your phone or a paper copy, uh, to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today, is Colossians chapter 2. At the end of that passage is where we're going to read from today and what we're going to take a look at. We're actually going to look at a, a bit broader section than just the part that we read. Um, but uh, whether you're watching online, you'll see it on the screen. Whether you have your, your Bible with you or not, you'll be able to read that with us. But what we've been seeing over the past several weeks is that Jesus is greater than. In the first chapter of Colossians, we were able to see that Jesus isn't simply popular. He's not simply prominent. Jesus is preeminent. Preeminent, that's one of those words that means, right, greater than, on the very top of the top. And I don't know about your household, but in my household, we have these really important arguments, uh, debates, conversations, discussions. Maybe your house is like mine, I don't know. And this is really important, so I'm wondering if maybe this morning you could help settle some arguments for me. And really, these are arguments with my kids, right? So we're not, this is not me and Londa argument, this is me and my kids argument. But in a fight, you know, it's like those arguments about who would win, your daddy, my daddy, whatever, who would win. Who would win in a fight? Godzilla or King Kong? I told you, deep theological, important argument. Who would win? How many of you would say Godzilla would win in a fight? Okay, I, I see you. I see you out there. How about King Kong? All of you would say, that's my people right there. That's good. I like that. You know, okay, I know this is really important, deep theological stuff. Uh, technically, for those of you who think Godzilla, you're just wrong. Um, he may be stronger, but King Kong is smarter, right? That's the threes. It's the strength over smart smarts. That's what happens. Okay, another important, deep, doctrinal, theological argument. Who would win, Batman or Superman? 
Oh, oh, hear the crowd. Ooh. All right, how many of you would say Superman? Superman? Oh, y'all are so wrong. Um, how about Batman? Anybody? Batman? Batman? Yeah. Uh, if you've seen the movie, Batman wins, right? I mean, come on. You know that. No, I'm just... Technically, I like Batman because when it comes down to it, he's just a smart guy in a fancy suit, right? That's all he is. He's a smart guy in a fancy suit. And again, brains over brawn, right? You see that? That's, that's an important thing. Okay, I put some of this online last night, and I think we had some people lose their Christianity over this last question. Because <laughs> uh, we've stepped out of the fantasy and fictional and into the real, right? Who is the greatest of all time? Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Everybody's like, ah, oh, there's just no question unless you're under the age of 35, right? Um, so which is it, uh, Michael Jordan? Again, my people, this is good. How about LeBron James? Man, look at you, the, the lone guy, good job. Good job out there, represent, that's awesome. I found in my home, wait, there's one more over here, LeBron James, there we go. I found in my home, that's very much a genera generational question. They're like, Michael Jordan, who's that? You know, I'm so old, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, when we say that Jesus is greater than, right? This is where we pull in the Sunday school answer, right? I love how we talk about athletes, the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time. When we say Jesus is greater than, in the Old Testament, there's this beautiful picture of salvation. That when the, when the children of Israel, when their, when their salvation was being secured because of the grace that God gave them through their rituals, through the things that they did, they would sacrifice one goat as a blood sacrifice, and then they would symbolically place all of the sins of the nation onto the head of another goat, and they would release that goat out into the wilderness. And it's symbolic of how God takes our sin and just completely removes it from the camp. He just completely removes it from us. And in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills that picture of being the goat for our sin. So yeah, greatest of all time, but he is the one who carries our sin, who carries our brokenness, all the things that would mess us up, all the things that break our relationship with God. Jesus is the one who carries all of that away. Jesus is greater than. That's what preeminent means. And so in chapter 1 of Colossians, what we've seen is that reality. And then in chapter 2, what we start to see are four warnings that are given to us. In light of the fact that Jesus is greater than, here's some things you need to watch out for and be careful of. Here are four things that might just define your life. And if, these, if any one of these four things define your life, you're going to find your life broken, messed up, and eternity is going to be something less than best for you, right? So that's what we see in, in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read a section of that beginning in verse 18. And one of the things that we like to do here in the context of a worship service is we like to honor the reading of God's word by standing as we read it. So let me invite you to stand to read God's word. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 18, the other thing we do to honor the reading of God's word is at the end of my reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll celebrate together by saying, praise be to God. So we'll begin in verse 18 of Colossians chapter 2, and here's what it says. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you so much. You can be seated. And like I said, in Colossians chapter 2, there's four warnings. And one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to jump out of verse 18 to go backwards in in chapter 2 just a little bit so that we can see those four warnings. And each of those four warnings begin with some variation of let no one. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one Uh, let no one delude you, let no one, let no one, let no one. So we're going to see those four warnings. And one of the things, it's going to be the biggest thing that we see is that of all these four warnings, Jesus is greater than. So if if you capture that idea today in your head, in your heart, and in your life, that's what you're going to see beyond a shadow of a doubt, that all of these four things, whatever they may be, Jesus is greater than. So let's look at Colossians. Go backwards just a little bit to Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, I say this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So that's your first warning. Let no one delude you with plausible arguments. Well, what's a plausible argument? Well, it's a reasonable idea. It's justifiable. It's understandable. It's logical. It's rational. It's reasonable. Let no one delude you with reasonable ideas. You know, when I read that, what I think is that Jesus is greater than your best excuse. What's your best excuse for not following him? What's your best excuse for your worst mistake? What's your best excuse for your daily acts of disobedience? Don't we always have an excuse? There's a reason why I treat them bad. There's a, there's a reason. That's my kids. They punch, I punched my brother in the nose. Why, Dad? Reasons. I have reasons. I punched him. He gave me reason to punch him. In, don't you see that in your workplace? Reasons. I've got excuses for everything that I do. Don't you do that? Don't we have a justification for every bad action that we've ever taken? Every moment that you've ever experienced in your life, good or bad, if someone, it's, it comes with a story, right? Everything you do, it comes with a story. Well, why'd you marry him? reasons, excuses, explanations. In the moment, they sounded plausible. They seemed, sounded rational. They sounded reasonable. Why'd you take that drink? Why'd you go into debt? Man, we were debt-free. It was awesome. But man, we had this moment. And in the moment, it just seemed like exactly the right thing to do. Right? I had excuses. I went into debt. Now, the economy's changed, or COVID has come, or I've lost my job, or whatever. In the middle of this transition of life, that debt that seemed so smart back then is so bad right now. You know why that happens? The reason that happens is because doing what we think is right, or doing what seems right, is not the same thing as doing what is right. You see that, right? You see that with your kids a lot, especially if you're a parent. Doing, doing what you think is right or doing what seems right, it's just not the same as doing what is right. You know, I'm, uh, I, I like to watch 
things in the stock market. I, I just wish I knew then about GameStop, what I know now, right? <laughs> I mean, how many of you wish, I wish I knew about GameStop or Apple or Amazon or I wish I knew then what I know now. I, I just wish I did. For some of you in your relationships, there was that moment where you're like, man, this relationship, it just feels right. It just seems right. I just love them so much, that, that person. I just love them so much. And because I, I love them and they love me, this just seems and it just feels so right. So you share this very intimate, well, really the most intimate thing you can share together. You share those moments together. <laughs> and then a week later or a month later or a marriage later, you look back and went, man, it sure looked right at the time. It sure looks different now. You see, the reason why our excuses, our explanations are not enough, the reason why Jesus is greater than all of those is just really simple. Our perspective is just so very small, right? Generally, everyone in this room, including myself, we always try to do the best, we, we always try to make the best decision we can based on the information available at the time, right? I saw this, so I did that. It seemed like the right thing to do. I saw this, I did that. It seemed like the right thing to do. I saw this with this woman. I saw this with my investments. I saw this with my parenting. I saw this with my mom. I saw this, I saw that. It seemed like the right thing to do. It felt right. But now that I'm on the other side of it, looking back, it seemed right, but it wasn't right. Why? Well, because my perspective in the moment was just so small. Jesus is greater than our perspective. We need someone who sees bigger than we see, and that's the brilliance and the beauty of who God is and the wisdom that he's given to us. James chapter 1, verse 5 is just such a great verse. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of a God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so there's this moment, there's this way that God looks at us and says, I don't see this, I see this. I don't simply see the now, I see the forever. I don't simply see the next step, I see every step. And if you'll just ask, if you'll just look, if you'll just seek, you'll find. Why? Well, because Jesus is greater than all of my excuses and he sees better than I've ever seen. Here's what we need to do. If the problem is doing what seems right is not the same as doing what is right, what do we need? Well, we need a different perspective. We need to open our eyes so that we see more than just what's right ahead and we can't do that on our own. It's why we need to correct back to God's word. We need to pursue God's word. We need to understand this eternal filter that God's given us through his word. John chapter 1 describes Jesus as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We need the filter of God's Word, and every time God's Word speaks, we ought to adjust our words, our actions, our attitudes, our emotions. If God's Word says it, we should adjust our life to it, even if we don't understand it and don't like it. Isn't that the nature of faith? Right? God, you see more than I see. You know more than I know. You care more about my kids. This is crazy. You care more about my kids and grandkids than I do. I don't have grandkids yet, but someday, right? You care more about my friends. You care more about my life. You know more about me and the world that you created. You know more than I do. And so faith says, I look at God's word and I may not understand it always and I may not always like it, but God, I trust you. And so because in my life, Jesus is greater than my excuses, I'm going to do my best to alter my life to match what I see 
in your word. So how are you doing with that? I struggle with that sometimes. God, I see it in your word. I don't like it. I don't understand it. And I've got all kinds of reasons to do something else. What about you? Jesus is greater than your best excuse. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says something really incredible. It's just one of those insights that God has into humanity. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. God knew this a long time ago. What would happen if you and I could figure this out today? Jesus is greater than our best excuses. Let's look at the next one. Here's the next warning we see in Colossians. It's in verse 8. Colossians 2 verse 8. Not only is Jesus greater than our best excuses, Colossians 2 8 says this. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty conceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty conceit. You know what that really means? Jesus is greater than your truth. Have you heard that phrase? Have you heard that idea? You just need to live your truth, man. Just go out and live. Your, you be you, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll be good. You just go live your truth. You've heard that, right? You know what the problem with that is? The problem with that is that when I live my truth, all I really do is fill my life with more of me. That's all I do. I fill my life with more of me when I go out and live my truth. That's the problem when you do that. You just fill your life with more of you when you go out and live your truth. And here's one of those interesting moments. I love science, and I love the fact that science is a way of studying God and his creation from a totally different perspective. And there's some things that science really is good at. There's some things that scripture and philosophy and spiritual thinking is really good at. They're, they're looking at some similar things, but through different paths. And there are these beautiful moments when the words of scripture and the words of science are just so in line that you probably ought to pay attention. And this is one of those moments. Back in Genesis... The Bible tells us that the way you were created and the way I was created is that God pulled together the dust of the earth and he formed it and he shaped it and he crafted it and just very lovingly he made it into the shape of who we are as humanity, right? But all it was was still dirt. That's all it was. It was just dirt. Until he took that dirt and breathed life into it. He took this empty shell of a man and just breathed life into it. The Bible tells us we're made from dirt and it's the breath of God in us that makes us something more, that makes us something special. And when I hear the, the theories of science that exist today, isn't the most common theory in science about where we came from is that we just at some point from the dirt and dust and primordial goo of the world came out of that? To become this? You've heard it said that we're, you know, we're, what is it? We're all just dust in the wind. Isn't that a great theological song? We're, we're just dust in the wind. We're, we're, we're the stuff that stars are made of. Science and the Bible agree. Now, science hasn't really figured out where that spark of life came from. They're, they're not really equipped to study that. But man, God knows and he, he is. So if science says you're made from dirt, and if scripture says you're made from dirt, then when we say that the problem with living your truth is that you just fill yourself with more of you, you know what that really means? It means when you fill yourself with more of you, you're just taking dirt and pouring more dirt on top of dirt, right? And so here's the thing. 
God takes that dirt and he breathes his spirit. He breathes his life into that dirt and then looks at that and goes, that is fearfully and wonderfully made. He steps back and with great delight, he goes, I did good. Look at what I did. What identity problem do you have? Does it have to do with your weight or your shape? Does it have to do with your intelligence? Does it have to do with your position? Does it have to do with your pronouns? Does it have to do, what, what, what does it have to do with? Because in the eyes of God, the identity that he has given you is so far superior to the dirt that you're made of. And if you just keep living your truth, all you'll ever do is put more dirt on top of more dirt until, until, you recognize the vessel that you've been created to be. And you let the breath of God fill you and transform you into that object of delight, that person of delight that he's designed you to be. Every other identity problem you'll ever have is solved when we recognize and surrender to the truth that Jesus is greater than that. I had a friend who was an addict. And he was constantly saying, hey, man, today I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm just I'm going to get clean, and I'm going to turn, turn over a new leaf. And it would last a little while, or he'd go to rehab, or he'd come back out of it. And he was trying so hard, and I was so grateful that we get to keep working together on these things. But he'd come to me, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And then he'd fall off the wagon, and it would be terrible. And he'd go back into rehab, and he'd come back out of rehab, and he goes, hey, Chad, guess what? I turned over a new leaf, same as the last time. You know what I found? Old dirt. Every time I turn over a new leaf, that's all I find is old dirt. And I'd say, man, you know why? It's because you keep filling your life with more of you. So you know what the solution is? If, we, if Jesus is really going to be greater than my truth, then I really need to do what Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says. It says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow. You know, the solution, the, the way we recognize that Jesus is greater than is we just deny ourselves. Just, what a big word there. It's not easy, right? It's not easy to know. Some of us are trying to fast because it's Lent. How's that going for you <laughs> right now? Is it like your New Year's resolution? I made it like 27 minutes before I ate chocolate. And I've, oh, I forgot. I'm not eating chocolate for Lent. Let me just suggest something. If the reason that you're practicing Lent is to lose weight, I hope... That's okay most of the time, but during Lent, I hope you'll recognize that fasting is so much better than our body shape, right? It's so much better than our physical health. Fasting, at its most simple, is using a God-given need, like our appetite, our need to eat. It's using a God-given need to inspire or to trigger a God-honoring response. I hope that during this season, if you're fasting, that every time you crave the thing you're fasting for, that it causes you to turn your heart and your mind towards your Heavenly Father, that you would deny yourself so that he could fill you with more of his life. Why? Well, didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Don't fill your life with more of your truth. Fill it with his truth because he is the truth. That's your second warning. Jesus Christ is greater than your best excuses. He's, he's greater than your truth. And here's the next one. Take a look at this one. Colossians verse, or chapter 2, verse 16. We're getting closer to the passage that we read. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Jesus is greater than your worst critic. He's just greater than your worst critic. And I don't know how many of us do this. Some of us are so busy trying to fill our lives with our truth that we lose the meaning of our lives and we lose our identity completely. Some of us are trying to fill our lives with all of our excuses that we're trying to justify everything we do and prove why I'm right, you're wrong, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're strong, and and if you just understood me better, then you'd get all my excuses and I could do things my own. Some of us are trying to do that, but others of us aren't trying to do those things. Some of us are trying to uh, adjust our life to match every critic or We're trying our best to cast off every critic. And this verse right here says, be careful. Jesus is greater than your worst critic. You might be your own worst critic. (laughs) When I'm looking at social media or Twitter or Facebook, any of those things, when I'm looking at uh, Facebook or Instagram or any of those things, it's really easy to see that it's easy to find critics all over the place. We're flaming each other. Everybody's right. Everybody's wrong. And everybody's arguing. And it just seems like there were some tragic things that happened in Tulsa over the past couple of weeks. And Twitter blew up with blame, right? Oh, it's your fault. It's your fault. If you'd just done this, if they'd have said that, if this would have just happened. And there's just critics everywhere. And when it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, it's like that favorite verse that people like to quote out of context, judge not lest ye be judged. Have you noticed nobody quotes that in like modern language? It's always the old King James. When was the last time you said lest or ye? Try that at lunch today. Ye shall have more pizza today. It will be good. You know, try try that and just see what happens. But that idea that we shouldn't judge one another isn't based on discernment, right? We've got to discern the difference between right and wrong. And life is messy. I need people to get in front of me and to get in my way when I'm about to fall off a cliff. I hope that I have friendships. I hope I have critics in my life, right? Friendships, constructive criticism in my life that if I'm doing something that's gonna jeopardize my relationship with Londa or with my kids or with you as a church, I hope I've got someone in my life who's gonna get in front of me and say, hey, look, there's a cliff right there, stop. Stop, you're gonna fall off. I hope that. I hope they love me enough not to be judgmental but to help me practice good judgment? You see, that's really what that verse, judge not lest ye be judged, is all about. It's not telling us not to judge. It's telling us judge rightly and don't be judgmental. Practice good discernment and help each other do the same. See, here's the problem with the idea that we have our worst critics out there. And it's the thing about social media that I think is fascinating. We may not have all the facts, but we do have all the answers, right? If you just listen to me, I'll, I'll solve all the world's problems, right? That's, that's how that works. Here's the problem with critics. The biggest problem with every critic, and sometimes you may be the critic, but the biggest problem with every critic you'll ever face is, you know what? They're broken too. Right? <laughs> I don't know if that's from the experience of being criticized or being the critic, but they're broken too, but I love it either way. The, the critics are broken too, right? Every one of them. So it seems to me that we've got three responses to our critics, right? Response number one is exactly what I talked about. Some criticism is constructive. I need friends in my life to keep me from walking off a cliff. And man, if the criticism, if the critic, if he's right, if the truth they're pointing to is based on a foundational principle you find in Scripture, I better, better listen 
I better surrender. I better submit. I better repent. I better adjust my habits and my life. I, I better do something about it. Isn't that the nature of friendship? Right? Man, life can be messy. I need someone in my mess to help me out. And so do you. So we ought to probably respond to those constructive criticisms. You know what another response is? It's to just recognize that these are people who don't have all the facts. And these are people who can't solve the problem. Problem, They're just there throwing darts at, at you. And maybe the answer to those is to just move on. Why would you just move on? Well, because that critic is not your standard. They're not your judge. They're not your jury. They're not the executioner. They're simply one more voice to distract you from the one who is. Christ is the standard, right? Christ is the standard. So stop living your life in a way to please the critics. Stop living your life and trying to be the critic of everyone else. Focus on the standard who is Jesus Christ. And who is he? He's the one who's greater. He's greater than your critics. He's greater than your own self-criticism of you. Jesus is simply greater. And he's the standard. You know what? There's a third response to our critics and how our world would change if this was the way we reacted. You know why I don't have to always pay attention to every critic? Because if Jesus is my standard, and if Jesus is my standard, then they're not the ones I'm trying to please. They're not the one I'm trying to satisfy. And if I pay close attention, and you might do this inside your own life if you're the critic, right? If every critic is broken too, then when the critic comes after you, how would the world be different if instead of responding in an argument or in a defense or trying to just prove how right you are and how wrong they are, what if your response was a response of compassion because you recognized that critic is hurt? And somehow, you've heard the cliche, right? Hurting people hurt people, right? You've heard that. What if by the grace of God, because the breath of God has filled you with the Spirit of God, you could respond to your critic in a way that honored their hurt and moved them to mercy, that honored their hurt and moved them to grace, that recognized that the criticism that they're throwing at you may have more to do with them than it does with you. And instead of trying to argue the hell out of them, you try to argue the heaven into them. And you don't do that through an argument, right? You do that through compassion. You do that through, man, there's such power in face-to-face. -face. There's such power in one-on-one. -on -one. There's such power in entering the mess, right? And just, isn't that what Jesus did for us? It's one of the most things, it's one of the things about Jesus I just find is brilliant. He was perfect in every way. He never sinned. He never had a problem with sin. He faced every temptation and didn't give in. Yet he showed up on this planet, in this world, in my life. He entered my mess and he walks, he walked comfortably with his disciples, never once concerned that somehow the mess would rub off on him. I can't, could you imagine hearing Jesus, Jesus say, I can't hang out with her, she's a prostitute. People might think, that might tarnish my reputation. I can't hang out with him. He's a sinner. You know, isn't that what he was criticized for the most? He entered the mess and never once was concerned that the mess would rub off on him. Why? Because he was greater than. And he followed. He followed his heavenly father. You know, Proverbs chapter 14 is one of my favorite scriptures. And it's just a funny verse. It says, where there are no oxen, the, the stall is clean. 
Get it? Where there are no oxen, the stall is clean, but strength comes by many oxen. If you're going to be in this life with a spouse, with a loved one, with friends, with family, with coworkers, with bosses, with clients, with anybody, a baseball team, there's going to be a mess. And there's going to be a critic. And you don't have to live and respond the way the world does anymore when you follow Christ. You can respond to your critic with compassion. Why? Well, because Jesus is greater than. That's the third warning. He's greater than your excuses. He's greater than your truth. He's greater than your worst critic. Look at verse 18, Colossians 2, 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Jesus is greater than your religious habits. Now think about that for just a minute. Jesus is greater than every religious habit that you have. Fasting is awesome. For those of you who are fasting for Lent, good job. Keep it up. Jesus is bigger than your fast. The devotion that you had this morning, reading God's word, praying for people, praying for others, if that's your habit of daylight, man, that is so awesome. Please keep it up. That's such a good discipline and a good practice Jesus is greater than. Coming to this space and this place for worship together with other believers, getting in small groups to work out how does scripture play into my daily life, having friends that are, that are good gospel-based friendships, those, those are all such good practices and such good disciplines. Watching online, serving in our community, doing all such good, good practices. But you know what, Jesus, Jesus is greater than. I don't know if you're like me and Londa and our family. We've had these moments where it's a shopping day. We're going to go out shopping. And we both kind of have devotional moments in the morning. And sometimes I miss it and sometimes I don't. And she's really faithful. She always catches hers. And so I let her drive. Because when she has her devotional and she drives and we're going to Walmart, we always get the front parking spot, right? Because God loves us more on the day she has her quiet time. That's how that works, Right? And then we're in Walmart, and there's just a million people everywhere, and they're slinging stuff, and there's the sound of money, that beep, beep, it's the sound of money at Walmart, right? You hear that? And there's lines everywhere, but Londa had her quiet time, so we get to the line that's just the shortest, and boom, we're out, right? That's how that works, right? You see, that's not at all how it works. Do not taste. Do not touch. Do not, do not, do not. It's the reality of the way Scripture is written that I think is awesome. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says it's for freedom that you've been set free. It's for freedom that you've been set free. Therefore, don't take on again the yoke of slavery to sin. The Old Testament law was such an easy thing. There's just ten of them. Don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Honor your father and mother. Uh, you know, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, you know, there's only one God and Him alone. Worship Him alone. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't lie. Don't steal. Very clear. It leads me to believe that grace is harder. Isn't freedom harder than law? Clear cut. Do this. Don't do that. That's the law. But Jesus says, you've been set free from that law that says do, don't. You now live under a new law, which is the law of liberty. James talks all about it. That says, I'm free so I can. I'm free from these sins. I'm free from this temptation. So now I can honor Christ with all of my life. And I don't have to live in the fear that I didn't follow the rules enough. 
because Jesus did that for me. He sacrificed his life so that I could be forgiven. But more than that, it's better than that. The righteousness of Christ was taken out of him. It's substitutionary atonement. The idea that he substituted his his righteousness for my sinfulness and he's placed it inside my heart as a follower of him today. I'm free so I can live in the gracious glory of who God is. I don't have to give in to that temptation anymore. I don't have to give in. I don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. And actually, grace is harder, and Jesus made that crystal clear. He looked at the Pharisees and the, and the disciples, and he said, hey, guess what? Remember how the Old Testament, remember that commandment that says, don't commit murder? Remember that? If any of you, I know you haven't murdered anybody, but if, if any of you look at someone and you have such hatred in your heart, well, it's counted against you like you've committed murder. Why? Well, because grace is harder. Hey, remember that woman or that man that you looked at, not your spouse? You kind of had that lustful moment. He's saying this to the Pharisees. You guys, you look so good. You're so religious. You come to church all the time. Good job. You're here. That's great. But every time you lust after someone in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery. Grace is harder. It's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus is greater than our religious habits. You know, Coming here is such a good thing. Trusting and following Jesus is so much better. This is a great discipline to have. But our external, our external expressions of devotion, these external things we do, they can't actually cause internal conditions of surrender. Right? Some of you have sat and listened to this whole thing and you're making grocery lists in your head. You're thinking about those questions I asked at the beginning. Hey, I know why. I know why Godzilla would win. You know, you're, you're still distracted by that first question. This past week, past two weeks, there have been a couple of men who are giants in the faith, teachers of thousands of people, brilliant men, who had all of the external trappings of devotion, who failed in epic scale kinds of ways. They've abused people. They've abused their position, their spiritual authority. Their reputations are gone. And it happened because their external expressions of devotion did not create for them an internal condition of surrender. So what are you doing here today? Are you here for the show? Or are you here because Jesus is greater than all of those? And I just want to follow him. You know, the solution to that's really simple. If if that's the case for you, if you're all wrapped up in the religious trappings of expressions of faith and all of those things, can I just encourage you to relax? Just relax. Trust the grace of God and recognize how he entered your mess. And he's systematically going through your mess and saying, guess what, you don't, have to, you don't have to live like that anymore. See this temptation, you don't, you don't have to be tempted by that anymore. See the sin, you're forgiven of that, you don't have to go there anymore. Just relax and trust the grace of God. Let the grace of God fill you. When I was about 17, um, I started having really strong doubts about who I am and my faith. I'd grown up in church and I'd done all the VBS and 
kids' choirs and RAs and all of those things. I've been baptized and heard all the stuff and been to the camps and I've done all of those things. But at 17, I started studying some other things and it really, it really brought some significant doubts into my life. I just didn't understand, God, if this book is your book and they say this book is their book, how could those possibly, how could, how is, how's this even true? And it really led me down a dark path. And uh, it, it created a depression in my life. And it really scared my parents and my friends a lot because the depression was enough that made me go, I just, if this is not true or if my life's been built on a crazy lie, I might as well just check out, right? And so in the moment of that depression, um, it's really questioning, God, I, I can't do enough to be right. I can't do enough to please my biggest critics. I, I can't, I don't even know who I am in the middle of all of this, so if I were to live my truth, I don't even know what it is now. Maybe I should just check out. And I had a friend sit down with me. His name was Brad Davis. He said, he said you're struggling over the grace of God is what you're struggling over. I'm like, yeah, talk to me about church more, right? That's been helpful. And he goes, no, seriously, it's almost like the grace of God has put you inside a room and it's the room that is his grace. You're not there because of anything you've done. You're there because of what he did for you on the cross at Calvary, and you are there, and you've trusted that, and you're a part of that. But it's almost like he's looking at you saying, you're in the room, welcome. And you just keep shouting and running and screaming and trying and chasing to get inside the room that you're already in. Would you just relax and let the grace of God carry you. Do not taste, do not touch, do not, do not, do not. Jesus is greater than all of your religious habits. We're not here because we're good and being good. We're here because we got to get something God needs us to have, and we don't have it yet. So if you think you've got it all together, guess what? You're wrong. If you think, if you're here and you think we have it all together, guess what? <laughs> you're wrong, because we don't. Our stuff's falling apart all the time. But isn't that why we're here? I had an old pastor friend who would say, this isn't a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners, right? That's it's cliche, but it's true, right? That's who we are. Relax and let the grace of God fill you. So today's invitation is just really simple. If any of those four things describe you, I've got all the excuses in the world, I'm giving in to every critic, I'm just gonna live my truth, these religious habits I have prove that I'm something and everybody else is a little bit of something else. If any one of those four describe you, then in your life, you've made those things greater than Jesus. And you're wrong. So the invitation is, which one's you? Will you surrender? You, maybe you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but you're having a hard time trusting him for tomorrow. That makes no sense. Relax. Trust his grace. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, maybe you need to come and give your life to Christ. Just say, I need to surrender everything to him. Maybe you need to be baptized. We had someone baptized in the first service. I need to take my very first step of obedience and tell the world I belong to Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you just need to say, man, all these greater thans fit me and I just need to repent. Well, this altar is open. Come pray. You can pray right where you are. You can pray in your living room. You can pray wherever you are and say, God, I've been trying so hard. Thank you that you succeed everywhere I fail.
thank you that I can just take a breath and trust you more. Let's pray together. Father, would you move in our hearts today? Would you move in this room today? Would your spirit of repentance touch the heart of every person who's listening to these words? And would we align our hearts and our minds with you and with your word? Would we recognize that you are greater than not because we made you so, but because that is simply who you are. And whether we've got the best excuse or whether we've got some other truth or whether we've got some critic who's telling us how wrong we are or whether we think our religious habits are just all that, Father, I pray that you would help us to just see how much we've missed it when we fail to honor the truth that you are the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You are the only way the only truth, and the one who brings life. So, Father, let us surrender to you today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship him by surrendering today.